Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James... Goodly morning. Goodly morning. How you doing? I'm all right. Were you expecting something a little <laughs> bit extra there? <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 a little bit, only because I'd seen people on Twitter demanding it. You know, you've set up this precedent now. I feel like you've created a rod for your own back there. I think, you know, um, as much as I enjoyed yesterday, I think we need to be a little bit circumspect. And you keep the special goodly mornings for something that's actually really special like I know us winning a game at last is quite special that feels and it's special a, it, it, does, it does feel special it definitely does but I don't want to be the guy who just sort of uh, you know uh, uses up all his creative juices on a win over Newcastle I think you know if we beat Tottenham or if we beat Man City or if we beat somebody like that then we can then we can see where the where the goodly morning takes us but for now just a regular goodly morning will suffice that's true. There haven't been enough of them. Um, but what about, I mean, a rendition of the Magpie song, given that we beat the Magpies? That's true. I'll, I'll, we'll play that at the halftime break. People can have a good dose of no, the Magpies. No, no, we'll, we'll do an updated one. We'll do an updated one. Just give me one moment. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Magpies! Um, I really should have thought about this. Yeah. Magpies! Magpies at the Emirates, getting nutmegged and losing 4-0. Magpies crying on the bus, <laughs> going back to Newcastle and being fed seeds by Steve Bruce. There you go. <laughs> Hours of preparation. That is good. I think you might have broken your microphone. <laughs> I tried to move away from the mic, but it it was so powerful the the emotion that came through me. True. That that I think you're right. It may have shattered. All microphones in the surrounding area. Shattered the diaphragm. (laughs) Uh, Oh, it's lovely, isn't it, to have a proper goodly morning? It surely is. It's really nice to to win a game of football. It's nice to see us score some goals. It's nice to just have that uh, relaxing morning. I came up to write the blog this morning and I was thinking, fuck, it's been ages since I sat down and wrote about, you know, that kind of a win and that that comprehensive a win and the various aspects of it. Because when things were going wrong, you're going, okay, well, look, this is what was wrong with this and this is what was wrong with that. And look, if we do this or if we do that, and you've got to ask questions about this, blah, blah, blah. And then you're sitting there going, I, I, I get to do it the other way around. Mm-hmm. I get to mm-hmm. do it the other way around. I sit here and I go, well, that was good. 
and that was good, and this was good because that was good, and the benefits of this are because it's much better. I like it a lot more, I have to say, when it works this way, when Arsenal win games and we can examine um, the football we played, the decisions the manager made from a positive point of view. I know it feels kind of redundant to even say that, but, you know, there, there, are, there are people who go, yeah, well, you know, you, you live for um, things being bad. And it's like, well, no, that, that's, not, that's not it at all. It's just much no. better when Arsenal win. It is. And it's, I mean, you know, as we've said many times this season, there just haven't been enough of those things this season, wins. And to, not, not just any win, but a comprehensive win, you know, by the kind of scoreline we're not massively accustomed to seeing. Mm. I don't think we won a game by this margin since Bournemouth last season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just so welcome and so many different positive things to get to in this show which is a a treat yes it is it's a treat for us and hopefully a treat for the people listening as well because you know we're long overdue this kind of a win i'm trying to remember the last time we won four nil when is the last time we won four nil uh specifically i know we scored hundred years ago hundred years ago i mean we scored (laughs) five against bournemouth didn't we? we scored four against valencia last season um there was a 4-2 against Tottenham, of course, where we scored four goals against Spurs. Remember that? Remember how sad they were? That was great. That was nice as well. But yeah. a 4-0 win. Hmm. Hmm. I, I like 4-0. It's sort of where a, a... It's a proper thrashing, isn't it? Like 3-0... It's is, a good win. Is, it's a, is good a comprehensive win. victory, definitely. But four kind of tips the balance for me. Uh, maybe we'll just uh, have to get on the uh, the hotline to Orbino and find out when exactly it was. Uh, oh, I'm looking just looking back through the results. There's a four nil over Nottingham Forest in the EFL Cup in 2016. Uh, 2016. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was confused. I thought it was. Oh, is it one this season? Am I uh, was Maybe that, was that five nil? Four nil. Standard Liège earlier this of season. Course. There you go. We are idiots. Well, they no, don't I, count yeah. in the Europa League, do they? They don't count in the Europa League. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, look, it was great, and I suppose all the better, really, for the fact that we had to wait quite a long time mm. for those floodgates to open. What did you think about the starting lineup? I thought it was really interesting. I thought maybe there would be some changes. I did not, for one second, envisage the changes that Mikel Arteta made. Like, Inketia for Lacazette, that was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. And Ceballos in midfield ahead of Torreira and Genduzzi, that was also a surprise to me. Um, yeah, so, I mean, look, the, the fact that he did something different isn't really a surprise because I think he had to. You know, the way things have been going, you, you can't just sort of keep, keep doing the same thing over and over and over and hope for it to be better. You've got to be a bit more proactive than that. And clearly when he went away and when the team went away to Dubai and had that training and did those extra sessions, he saw some things that he liked from certain individuals and decided to, to give them a chance on the day. But I thought those two inclusions in particular were, were surprising the Enkedia one, perhaps most of all, even if Ceballos has been a bit sidelined of of late, uh, you could sort of yeah. see a bit more logic to that one. Whereas the 
the Enkedia one was a bit surprising. I'm not like being critical of Enkedia at all, but it's it's still the same situation where you have Aubameyang on the left. He's involved in the build-up play. It's not really his strength. I think there were times in the first half where his touch was heavy. He didn't quite mm-hmm. do what you would like a player in that position to do. But the benefit, of course, is that even aside from that, he has the ability to score goals when he starts in that position. But it, it was a bit of a surprise. What did you make of it? Oh, I was really surprised. I mean, I had a few conversations with people before the game in the press box about what kind of team they were expecting. Nobody went for anything like that. You know, the discussions were, well, will Saka keep his place? Can mm. Asenac is fit again? You know, will will Lacazette keep his place was the discussion, but nobody was thinking that Nketiah would be yeah. the one to come in. I think everyone was looking at Martinelli probably as, yeah. as the, the guy who'd likely do that. Uh, it was sort of between... I don't know, and, and would Pepe start? Uh, and Ketia really, really surprised me. But then I suppose, well, number one, we know that Arteta's been incredibly positive about his performances in training. But I also think having made the decision to bring him back from loan uh, and to keep him at the club, I do wonder if there's a slight sense of, well, we have to give him some game time in order to sort mm. of justify that decision to the player who really wanted to go out on loan at the start of this season and knew that that game time would be beneficial. But mm. it, I also had a slight thought in my mind of, you know, Arsenal coming back off a two-week break, they've got three games in seven days. Um, one of those is a pretty important one in Europe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was like, is, are these changes rotational as well as being about sending a message and, yeah. you know, just choosing the most informed but, player? Yeah, I guess that does make some sense. Um, you know, I think there was an element of... I don't think it's... You don't pick a team um, simply to send a message. You, you pick a team to win a game, right? And yeah. he, he picked a team that he thought could could win the game. Uh, it turned out he was right. Uh, you know, the first half, I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit more detail, wasn't particularly great, but it did co- come into life. I do also think there was an element of, a, you know, how do you... If you step back from picking a team to win a game, how do you manage a football club, a football team... You have to make decisions which kind of resonate a bit. You have to make decisions which are going to have an impact uh, on your team, not just for that game, but maybe going forward. So I think maybe there was just a little message in the selection of Enkedia in that it's a sign that, okay, Lacazette hasn't scored. I don't think Lacazette could be too surprised to have found himself dropped or on the bench, Mm. right? Um But at the same time, I think there was something in it to say to the rest of the players, if you work hard, if you train hard, if you impress me in training, you will get a chance. I think there was I think there was something to that. Um, And I I, I agree. I, I think that that's been one of the hallmarks of Arteta in this first couple of months is that he's been firm, but fair. And I think even the selection of Ceballos, I mean, I think there was a tactical component because no team in the Premier League has less possession of the ball than Newcastle. I think they're 20th uh, on that metric. So, you know, you're going to have plenty of the ball and having a guy who is a bit more progressive, a bit more creative, makes a certain degree of sense. Uh, But I also think that he was kind of saying, well, look, if you work hard, the door is always open in the same way that it Mm. was for Shaka, in the same way it has been for Mustafi. Mm. Now it is for Ceballos. And, you know, he sets these quite high standards. But if you do change and if you do meet them, you will be rewarded. Yeah, yeah. So, look, uh, I, I think it's brave as well. It is brave, mm-hmm. isn't it, to, to give a guy his first 
Premier League start ahead of Lacazette, who's an experienced international, ahead of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who's our leading scorer uh, and best striker, to give him uh, his first... Uh, his first Premier League start in a game you know you need to win. I think there's an element of of bravery um, in that decision making. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, look, we we want a manager who will take some risks and do the right things. Um, finding the balance between that is something Arteta has got to has got to deal with. I know there was a, a, an omission from the squad, but I think we'll deal with the Ganduzi thing in uh, in part two. We'll have a question about that, so we can leave that um, to one side. Um, what about the first half in general? How did you think we performed? It, it did take us a while to get going. Yes. I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think in the fullness of the 90 minutes, you know, you look at those selections and you think that's absolutely fair enough and it all panned out quite well. At half time, my sense was, although I didn't think Sabios or Inketia had done much wrong um, as individuals, I did feel like maybe... I just feel like adding them in had sort of reduced a little of the connectivity of the team in the first half because, mm. uh, you know, Nketiah against a mass defence in a low block sort of wasn't, for my money, as good as Lacazette can be at making it stick or, or keeping it in play. And I just felt that the progression of the ball through the team wasn't that great. I was also struck by, for the first time in a while, Arsenal looked vulnerable on the counter-attack. And that was so often the case under Unai Emery, but has been a bit less so under Mikel Arteta. But I felt like when Newcastle broke, they threatened and they probably ought to have made slightly more of some of the opportunities they had. Right. Well, look, yeah, the, they were dangerous, I think, at times. And I I do think there was an element of us trying to get going and trying to find our rhythm Yeah. Um, in, in that first period. Um, I mean, we, we our first shot on target was after about half an hour. You know, it was that one where Aubameyang went through. Left-footed shot. Left foot. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, that was a pass from Meza Ozil after a lovely shimmy in the centre circle. And my sense of that first half was... Arsenal only really started to get moving once Ozil clicked into gear and I thought he played quite an important role in in sort of, you know, just getting the gears going. Yeah, I think so. In some ways, I think he kind of set the tone for the second half with what he did in the last part of the first half because we had struggled. Newcastle were very good... I think defensively, you looked around the pitch. I remember looking a couple of times at Saka picking up the ball on the left-hand side with literally nobody anywhere near him or or if not anywhere near him, nobody open. You know, there was mm. no space mm. for us to find passes between the Newcastle line. So they were very good and very well organised. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, they squeezed us well. They they uh, made the game very compact. Um, uh, we couldn't find our way through midfield. But what we started to do was use the wings a bit more and stretch the play a bit more. I thought Ceballos was quite important in that, that he picked the ball and he'd bypass uh, um somebody in midfield or perhaps one of the centre halves and moved the ball straight out to Bellerin who he connected with quite a lot the two of them played a lot of passes to each other so we shifted that left-sided bias that we have to an extent but I think Ozil in the last 15 minutes I think we'd say that the the second half was far superior from an Arsenal point of view in terms of creativity and what we did but in those last 10-15 minutes of the first half I think Ozil found space, made runs, made passes, which gave us perhaps just a little bit of a building block for that second period. 
Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, Mikel Arteta was on the sideline talking to Saka and Aubameyang as he always does. And you could see he was trying to get Aubameyang closer to Nketiah. And that's a change that they actually did make at half-time. Aubameyang spoke about it on Sky mm. afterwards. But, you know, Aubameyang in the second half started playing within the width of the penalty box a that, bit more. That was funny. Did you see that interview on, on Sky yeah, I've with seen Jamie it, yeah, Redknapp? Yeah. And there was like... I took a screenshot of it and there's a sort of Aubameyang has this look on his face like, I can't believe I have to talk to this guy. I just, <laughs> I just can't believe it. And and Redknapp asked him a question after he talked to Saka and he asked Aubameyang a question, something along the lines of, you know, what what, what happened at halftime? Did the manager do anything specific or was it whatever it was? Mm. And Aubameyang's answer was like, well, yeah, I mean, we just, you know, we worked a bit harder and we got just the, keep going. We I just got the, yeah, do we just keep going? Keep Yeah, it was was it a case, did he do something different or was it just keep going? And Aubameyang said, yeah, we just keep going. You know, we kept going, put a bit more energy in. We got the first goal, then the second goal, and then <laughs> uh, and then he just stopped. Like, he couldn't be arsed talking to Jamie Redknapp anymore. And I, I, I loved him a little bit more for that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's no time for a lot of the, the media stuff. And I, I don't really blame him, to be honest. He's focused on scoring goals. But yeah, I also really like there was a great moment when, when the sack of nutmeg, which we'll get to, is shown in that interview. Yeah. Uh, he sort of makes a, a noise, an exhalation, like a whoo thing. And they have a good chuckle about that. Yeah, that was good. That was good. So let's, let's get to the second half then. And yeah. I was surprised no changes, actually. I just thought I wasn't. maybe. No. Were you not? You thought no, he'd stick with it? I wasn't. I, I, I think he's kind of got the courage of his convictions yeah. in his players to do what he wants them to do, even if the execution isn't quite right in the first half. I think he's not... Um, I don't think it was so poor that we had to go, uh-oh, we better change something here, and that, and that comes with personnel. I think we saw with the Leeds game that he is capable of getting more from his players in the second period, perhaps by a little tweaking of mm. of what he wants them to do, a little bit more, you know, a- analysis of what the opposition are doing. I think we have to take that into account as well, that, you know, he's looked at what Newcastle have done in that first half and maybe said, look, let's do this, let's try this. Maybe uh, an element of, uh, I'm not sure, the hairdryer, that was certainly a part of the Leeds performance. But, but you know, I think he's capable of reacting to to what he's seen in that first half and getting more from his players. So I wasn't surprised there were were no changes. Yeah, that that makes sense, to be fair. I I think I thought that Nketiah might be kind of a sacrificial lamb, but I think that might be a bit of a hangover in my mind from the Unai Emery era where those half-time changes were unusually regular. But you're right, Arteta has been able to provoke turnarounds in games without making substitutions. And I really did think that you're right, they improved towards the end of the first half, but there was just a different energy and zip about Arsenal as soon as the second half started. And That was a word that, that Saka used and Aubameyang used. Maybe he just picked up on Saka, but Saka said, yeah, we put more energy into it. I don't think they could handle us. So yeah. I'm guessing that was part of the, the instruction from, from Arteta. Uh, let's talk Nicolas Pepe because mm-hmm. I think this was his best game for Arsenal. Yeah. I think um, coming so soon after the Burnley game where he didn't start and he didn't get on, people were asking a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And it's right, it's understandable and reasonable to ask questions about a £72 million signing who doesn't get on the pitch. 
in a game where you're looking for a goal uh, and you're looking for a win, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask questions about that. He got a goal. He got two assists. Um, those are very tangible contributions, but I think what was also noticeable about Pepe yesterday was a willingness to get back, to track back, to tackle, to cover Bellerin um, because he had to at times because that guy, San Maxime, is just absurdly fast. Uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like he's, he's like... Um, do you remember in FIFA, you used to be able to... Was it FIFA or Pro Evo where you could like make a player and you could give him the stats that you wanted so you give him like a mm. hundred pace or whatever it might be um, he's like that he's like a cheap player when it comes to pace but I thought overall what we saw from Nicolas Pepe was exactly the kind of performance that Mikel Arteta would have wanted to see from a player having said some of the things that he said about him in terms of his training his application his his um his positional conscientiousness and also what he can give us in the final third and what he gave us in the final third was absolutely key to us winning that game yeah i thought he was excellent i thought he was really excellent and you know you mentioned the defensive work i think he led the team for ball recoveries i think he had something like 12 ball recoveries in the course of the game wow. which is a real outlier for him an unusual performance in that respect you know the burnley thing a lot of noise was made about that and I myself was kind of concerned and frustrated that he hadn't got on. I think with a bit more distance, you know, you look at it and you have to remind yourself, well, you know, he was robbed of a substitution by an injury in that game. He probably didn't mm. have the three changes that he wanted, Arteta. Um, nevertheless, you know, he's clearly brought Pepe back into the team. He's been impressed enough with what he's done. And I thought he was excellent. I mean, the thing about Pepe is very few people doubt his talent. You know, I don't see too many Arsenal fans who watch him regularly saying, this guy isn't talented, this yeah. guy's not good enough. It's more a question of it not happening, you know, and it not quite clicking for him. But I don't think anyone questions his ability. And we saw we saw plenty of that uh, yesterday. And one of the things I noticed was Arteta, at one point in the game, just shouted to him, Nico, simple. And I think that's what he wants from him. Mm. I, you, know, you know, he's brilliant at the complicated things, beating two, three men or working a confined space. But I think Arteta will be most satisfied when he adds a bit of simplicity to his game. Mm. And I thought he did, he did the simple things well yesterday. And that's not always the easiest part of the game. Yeah. I mean, there was a moment, I think, in the second half on Sky when he lost the ball in midfield and Newcastle went up the other end. I think we dealt with it, but but Alan Smith on the commentary was going, Mikel Arteta is going crazy. And Nicolas Pepe, mm. he kind of ran into, into two guys. I think you're going to get that with him. There is going to be that element of okay, can he do the simple thing or is the more difficult thing there to do? Oh, fuck it, I'll give it a go. I, I think that's part of who he is. And yeah. I don't think you're going to eradicate that completely from his game and I don't think you should either because it's part of his personality as a footballer. But I think overall, Arteta will be delighted with what he got from Pepe. You know, the numbers, um, ultimately, you know, when it comes to attacking players, you are judged by by numbers. We can all watch with our eyes and we can talk about Ozil Lacazette and, and their contribution as well but you know to come out of a game with um, the numbers that he did with the goal with the two assists with the ball recoveries you know it, it was a big performance from him in a game where where we needed someone to 
produce something like that. And people might say, well, it's just Newcastle at home. But you know what? We've had loads of home games against loads of teams this season and nobody's done that on a regular basis anyway. So let's Absolutely. not be dismissive of it when, when, he, when he finally produces a, a big performance like that. Yeah, in the first half, you know, the space was not there for him quite as much. And I saw a brilliant tweet, and you have to forgive me because I, I can't remember who it was by, but somebody said, I'm just imagining how good Pepe would be if he was playing in this, if he was playing against this Arsenal team. And I, I kind of get that because I still think that when he's going to be at his absolute best is when we can release him quickly and early into big space. I think that's where he's going to absolutely flourish. But mm. he... He, he did a, a sort of different job yesterday and he, I thought he did it exceptionally well. Uh, yeah, he was great. And he created, I think, the first big chance of the second half, which was for Eddie and Ketia, yeah. if I remember rightly. Yeah, a little bit unlucky there. He, you know, he, he had to move backwards to to take the shot and it clipped the top of the bar. Um, you know, what a big goal that would have been for him and for, yeah. for, for Arteta as well, I think, you know, would really have justified that selection um, but you know those are moments and um, I think Aubameyang showed uh, why he is um, the amazing goal scorer that he is I mean that was a that was a Giroud goal that was an Olivier Giroud header from it's Aubameyang a really, it's a really good header because Pepe's cross is decent but it's not a cross uh, it's floated but, rather than yeah, driven he has to generate all the power you know, and he does do that. I mean, it, it still has some of the Aubameyang trademarks in terms of as Pepe strikes the ball, literally as he strikes it, Aubameyang sets off on his sprint and he gets three yards ahead of the, the right wing back mm. and who never catches him, unsurprisingly. And it's just a, a really, really good planted downward header. And how many times have Arsenal been in a position where you've thought they need something here to help them break the deadlock, get through, and it's... Yeah. It's Aubameyang who comes through. I mean, he's just a, a phenomenon in the penalty box, really. He is. Then we got the second goal. Um, what more can we say about Bukayo Saka that hasn't <laughs> already been said this season? I think, you know, the, the, there's been so much promise from, from Martinelli. Um, there's been so much from uh, Joe Willock. Reese Nelson has improved. You know, we, we have a, a clutch of young players coming through who are, who are really, really exciting but an 18-year-old playing, I'm not going to say out of position anymore because it's clearly a position in which he can play and play very well. So I think it's, it's yeah. wrong to say that he's playing out of position, but he was selected over a much more experienced and a more natural left back in, say, Kolasinac, who was fit again, but left on the bench. I think that was justification for the performances that Saka has put in. Until now, he's sort of the incumbent. He should keep his place until such time as he doesn't deserve it, I think, in mm -hmm. the current setup. Um, and that setup might change in the future. I'm sure that's something we'll talk about. But, you know, the confidence, the ability, the the composure, um, you know, to not make a guy like that going into the box at 18 years of age and then to look up and he spoke about it on Sky didn't he, he said he was going to look for for Eddie first is what he said but realised yeah. he would have to play it you know across the box and chances are that ball would have been cut out but he saw Pepe Pepe's you know makes the run 
the finish is is good. I think it looks a bit more bumbly than it than it actually is because it's one of those that makes it makes it more difficult for the um, for the goalkeeper, even if he goes the right way because of the way he hits the ball. I think it just makes it a bit more difficult for him. But just fantastic play from Saka, um, uh, and I think for me. The fact that he, it's not that people didn't know him or didn't rate him or, or what have you, but the the way he's broken through this season has just been one of the best things about it. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think Arteta said after the game, he has the courage to play like a senior player to mm. make things happen. And that's so right. There's no sense of conservatism. He's never in his shell, really. He's He never seems particularly awed by the environment and the surroundings. He just looks like he was absolutely made to play for Arsenal. And yeah, I thought he was excellent again. The, the piece of skill he produces in this game is so audacious and such an indication of that confidence. But, you know, lots of lots mm. of players might do that, but then not have the, the presence of mind to pick out the right pass. And I think that shows the maturity that's in his game as well. I think he's doing an incredible job in this adapted left-back role. And, uh, yeah, he, I mean, it was a brilliant piece of play. And the goal reminded me quite of uh, Pepe's goal against United. Yeah. It's similar kind of run from him into the central areas. And as a team lacking in goals, we need him to do that. You know, we need him to get on the end of some stuff because we need those contributions. For sure. Um I think after we were 2 0 up and you score two goals that quickly, it took a little bit of the wind out of Newcastle sales. They tried to put yeah. some wind back in with a couple of substitutions who who ran around a bit and, and tried to press us. I think there was one moment where where they had some danger and I do, you know, not that sometimes you need just a little bit of luck and the width of a post prevented Newcastle from from making it two one and at two one man again, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you 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 just wonder what it would have been like at two one because um mm. it probably would have been a bit nervy and I think some of the jitters that we have which are still not quite out of our system would have been present again. But look, that's that's the way it goes. Sometimes you get the look that goes for you. Sometimes it goes against you. And we had a bit of look that goes that that went for us. So, you know, I think after that, what I liked was some changes which made sense. The uh, Terrera for Ceballos, who, who was very good, um, just to just to provide a bit of energy, a bit of um, bit of buzz around midfield, a bit more protection. Uh, we had Lacazette come on for uh, was it Nketiah? Nketiah. And we kept the ball. We kept the ball really, really well. Um, we were comfortable. We realized that the best way to prevent danger was to make sure that they didn't have it. And I thought we looked very comfortable uh, keeping possession. Um, and that's not something we've always done. There's been an element of panic to to the way that we play, even when a couple of goals lead. Um, so that that was very pleasing. And then, of course, the third and fourth goals were the, were the icing on the cake. Yeah, they were. And the third goal, I mean, the, the numbers are great, aren't they? 11 players touch the ball, 30-odd passes, isn't it? Yeah. Um, a really good move. And actually, I thought in as the move accelerated into the final third, there was some really good play. Ozil himself kind of drove forward. I it, was thought, a, it was uh, a lovely pass from Shaka into yeah. o, uh, Ozil's path because it sort of bypassed you know their midfield who were trying to press up. So it was a good, good pass and... Nicely, nicely weighted pass into Ozil, who drove on then, and um, yeah, 
I thought, and, and Lacazette, Lacazette did well, I thought, inside the penalty box to turn it on. I mean, the only part of the goal that slightly let it down was the finish, really. But uh, I think given Ozil's goal-scoring trouble this season, and we'll say the same for Lacazette, I'm sure you know any kind of finish will, will do at the moment. For sure. I mean, I was a bit disappointed that he didn't do the bounce it into the ground thing and what have you, but sure. you know, there you go. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, we got a bit fortunate. Dubravka should probably keep that out. Mm. I think he's as surprised as anyone else that the effort is as tame as it is. But it was a really well-worked goal and, you know, a sign that things maybe are clicking a little bit. I think Arteta will have been really pleased with that because you imagine from a sort of front-to-back perspective, that is the kind of football he would like to play. Yeah, I think of all the goals that we scored, he'll be he'll be most happy with with that one because of it sort of stems from what you might call the the Arsenal tradition, you know, possession football and then seeing a chance and having the uh, the ability and the efficiency to to create something um when you turn the team around. Um lovely pass from Joe Willock to Pepe to create the goal for for Lacazette again. One of those moments where perhaps he got a little bit of luck uh, with the finish. He kicked it off his own foot and it, I think it wrong-footed the goalkeeper. Mm. Um, but the celebration, you can see how much that goal meant to him. And I think, you know, on a day uh, when we've won, you know, to have that little bit of extra bonus um, good juices when... Um, Ozil scores having not scored for ages and Lacazette scores having not scored for ages you know we need those players to contribute uh, between now and May so the fact that they, they've kind of lifted the burden a bit from themselves is, is very positive Yeah I think you're right to highlight the pass from Willock I think you know he's a player that we talk about him lacking consistency but pre-assist, I think his last... to pre-assist James sure and <laughs> pre-assist but I think his last few runouts, including the start in, at Bournemouth in the FA Cup have been pretty good actually and I think he he's in a decent little patch for him so let's hope he can maintain that Pepe again does well I honestly didn't realise in real time that Lacazette had mishit it quite as badly as he did I mean it comes off his standing foot in a big big way but there's a great moment as he sort of strikes it he's on the turn and as his face turns back towards the camera you can see the delight already etched across it Mm. and uh, he plays it quite cool Lacazette at times doesn't he but he couldn't I think I was going to say I was waiting for (laughs) he plays it quite cool I was going what did you watch those celebrations I should have waited for you to finish your sentence of course but you know what I mean? Like often yeah. he'll go for like the, it was he who famously did the sort of just no celebration, you know, just yeah. stood there and he can be, you know, quite, uh, have a demeanour to him, but that was all evaporated yesterday. He was just lost in it. And I really love those scenes. You know, I think Arteta, one of the big things he's done, we've talked about the tactical side, but he's tried to improve the spirit in the group. It was what shocked him when he, when he arrived with Manchester City and they walked all over us at the Emirates Stadium. He didn't see that fight. He didn't see that that collective spirit and in that moment it was there I mean maybe this little winter break has helped with that too a bit of togetherness yeah for sure and you could see the team really enjoyed the goal as much as Lacazette enjoyed the goal Um, so you know from that point of view you know, it's a heavy burden to carry when you're a striker and when you've been the main striker for X amount of games and you haven't scored and you know you're being criticised for it and understandably so, that's your job. You know, he wouldn't be blind to that, but, you know, to just to get that goal. I always remember, I think it was, could have been a goal that started our our 49-game 
run. And sometimes you just need something to go your way for the rest of it to click. And it could have been against Everton. And it could have been Silva and Wiltord who scored the goal. And it was just one of these that he hit the ball, it either hit a defender and just looped up crazily over the goalkeeper and in. Um, mm. And I think that broke a, a, a little duck for him or for us or whatever it was. But, you know, sometimes you just need some shit to go your way. And from Lacazette's point of view, not much or not enough has gone his way. And some of that is on him. But, you know, um, ju- just to sort of get rid of that that. Um, millstone around his neck let's hope he can kick on from here because as you say we've got a big game on Thursday big game on Sunday and there's a lot still to play for this season because of perhaps other things that have gone on which we can talk about in part two yeah I just was having a quick look for that Wiltord goal I think the one you mean it was February 2002 uh, and it, I guess it helped propel us towards the title the headline on BBC Sports Arsenal keep title hopes alive with a hard fought victory over Everton thanks to a fortunate Sylvain Wiltord goal there you it was go. sort of a, an outstretched volley that looked like a cross that ended up dropping into the dropping into the net so yeah I mean look it, it, it was fortunate for Lacazette but he probably was due a bit of luck in front of goal and look, he got it. So it was just great and really great scenes at full time as well. I mean, you know, these are small things, but they're things that as fans at the Emirates Stadium, particularly those who turn up and come in all conditions, how we haven't had too many moments like that with all the players on the pitch, you know, embracing, high-fiving, going to every corner of the ground. That's a big part of going to live football, enjoying that. And yeah, it was a delight to see. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's kind of that, um, that thing where, that circular thing, isn't it? Where Wenger always said, like, it's the job of the, it's the, job of the, the team to get the fans up or whatever it might be, right? Sure, sure. And, and that's true. I think it is. You know, fans will react to performances. But I think fans can also, um, they can help and they can, if you can create that, and that was something Arteta talked about, is reconnecting the fans and the team. But it can only happen if there's an element of belief in the team, right? Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? So, like, if, if we're not playing that well, but the fans believe that the team are capable of turning it around, I think it helps maintain a, a better atmosphere. Um, yeah. And I don't mean to open up this whole fans as cheerleaders debate or anything else, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of saying what you're saying rings very true to me that after a very difficult time, if fans can start believing in the team again and if the team can connect with the fans, I just think it will make the atmosphere and it'll make everything um, much more positive. And, I, and from there, from there, hopefully we can see the benefits of that in certain games or certain situations which maybe don't quite go to plan or, or maybe something doesn't go as well as it should go. People don't absolutely lose their shit the way that, that you know has happened in the past. I think that's true. It's obviously a reciprocal relationship and they each feed into each other. And the other thing is that winning is a habit and it is a habit that Arsenal have lost. And I think just winning in that comprehensive manner, experiencing that, remembering what the prize is, remembering what the reason we love to go or we love to watch and they love to do this for their job, remembering those feelings and reconnecting with them. I just think that will help. I mean... 
who knows maybe uh, i'm daring to be optimistic but i think i think it's about time because you know it's been a bit of a nightmare season and uh yeah, it was a it was a really good day. Mm. So, I mean, look, it didn't change our league position any. We remain in tenth. No. Yeah. However, we are now just um, six points off fifth, which could be a very, very important position to finish in. Uh, and yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that in in the second half of the show because I've got some questions about that. But um, overall. I think we can say that it was a really positive day yesterday. Yesterday, You know, all the players beforehand were talking about uh, how great things were and how happier they are and how much more positive they feel about what's going on at Arsenal and the work that they're doing on the training ground, etc., etc. I think we had to win yesterday, not just because we had to win because it's a Premier League game, but because of everything that they'd said. If we'd gone out and just struggled our way to another draw that belief that we've just spoken about people will be going hang on a minute <laughs> you know you're not you're not backing backing up what you're saying with what you're doing on the pitch mm. and even though it took us a half maybe to get going we did that yesterday and i think that's a very important thing that the the the, the pressure that they must have realized they were under to produce having said all the things that they said and having to deal with the the team and the situation that it's in they did it they did it and you know it's great and we love it but let's go on and win the next game. But that was a really interesting thing Arteta said, wasn't it? What, what he said about the next game, I want it to be better. I want us to yeah. improve. So there's no, there's no resting on any laurels here. As much as we can enjoy it as fans, those players are going to be like whipped into shape for the next game. Yeah, I think so. And he wants progress. He doesn't want a case of one step forward, two steps back. And uh, it's been like that for much of the last couple of years at Arsenal. So... Yeah, I, I think it was really, really encouraging. And I think the way the players are responding to the criteria Arteta is setting them and the demands that he's making is hugely encouraging. I think the way someone like Lacazette responded to being left out of the team bodes well. I think you could say the same for the way Pepe responded to being left out of the team, the way, uh, you know, uh, there are more Sabios, others, Mustafi. Uh, and there might be more players that we'll get on to in part two who might mm. respond in similar fashion. So the the direction feels good. And I think many Arsenal fans felt that the direction was good, even though the results weren't great, but there's yeah. only so long that's sustainable. So exactly. thankfully we've, we've got a result. Exactly. There's a bit of justification for feeling like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, look, we will take a break because there's plenty more to get through. Lots of uh, issues and lots of things going on. Uh, We'll deal with them in part two right after this. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show that I know what I'm talking about. Let me do it again. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog on the ArsBlog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog and on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Uh, just before we get on with the questions, I like this one from Ryan. It's not even a question. He's at Brace Ryan, and he says, ha ha, stupid magpies. <laughs> So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Good to vanquish the magpies at long last. Yeah. Uh, did you have a question lined up about our friend Matteo Ganduzzi? I did have a question lined up about our friend Matteo Ganduzzi. It comes from Ashley Moss, who's at Ashley Moss 4, who says, What do you make of Matteo Ganduzzi not even being in the squad yesterday? And afterwards, Mikel Arteta um, had some quotes when he was asked why Ganduzi was not in the squad. And he said, um, bum, bum, bum. Where he's is been it? a naughty boy. He's been so a he's very been a- naughty boy. <laughs> he's got to go yeah. think about what he's done and, and saw his behaviour at. Um, he said, the reason is that players, in my opinion, who are playing better, behaving better, behaving better, dun, 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 and are more applied to deliver on the pitch what we want, are the players selected. So, mm. And subsequently, we have, I mean, as we've been talking, mm. there's been a story from Sam Dean at The Telegraph saying that Matega and Doozy was left out after a row. Uh, at the Dubai training camp that started in the training session and continued into the hotel. Funnily enough, I've just had a, <laughs> a text from uh, my brother, who's not even an Arsenal fan, just flashed up on my phone as I was reading that, saying, uh, go on, Arteta. I think, you know, he doesn't mess around, does he? He won't take any shit, basically. No. No, I don't think he will. And I I like it. I yeah. like that. You know, I I, um, I think you need that. You need to be a manager capable of instilling discipline in a team. Like, mm. I don't want to, again, always hark back to what came before, but I, you know, I don't think Unai Emery was a guy who could instill discipline in the team. Not from yeah. a footballing point of view and not from a, a, a general disciplinarian point of view because he tried it and then rode back on it and everyone went, soft touch, soft touch. It's like Absolutely. a teacher. You know, you, you have a teacher who can't control a classroom. That was Emery. Whereas mm. I think Arteta's the guy, Arteta's the teacher when everyone's like uh, racketing around before the class and the teacher walks in. Did you ever have one of those teachers where he just walks in the room and everyone goes, yeah, yeah, just yeah. Just cool. silence descends upon the room and everyone, everyone sits down and waits <laughs> for the class to begin. We, yeah. yeah. That's, that's serious authority if you can, uh, 
Come on, then. So, so, yeah, so, I mean, look, just on the basis of what we talked about beforehand and Dubai and warm weather training and togetherness and, and, um, you know, the squad being um, united and all that kind of stuff, it's a bit disappointing, I suppose, to hear that one of the members of the squad who, who, you know, I'm not saying at 20 years of age you have to be... um, Supplicant is that the right word? I don't know. Like you, you, you're allowed to have a personality, and you're allowed to be a part of the squad, but you're still very young. Um, I mean, we don't know what the row was about. We don't know. Um, well, he was very young at Lorient, and he was a bit like this there, to be honest, from what you hear. So, you know, he is someone who has got a combustible personality, and that's part of his makeup. Um, and, 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 you know, that is also what plays into a lot of the things we like about Genduzi, I suspect. Mm. You know, that bravado and that niggle and that needle. Um, but Self-confidence as well, yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But there, that has to be contained and confined and nobody comes before the head coach, you know, and Arteta will lay down that law. And, and, and I guess what's encouraging for Genduzi is we know that he'll also forgive and forget and bring people back in if they play by his rules you know there's plenty of uh, precedent for that but it's an intriguing one because Genduzi started didn't he at Burnley yeah. and you thought oh here we go this might be the start from coming to the side clearly clearly something's gone a bit wrong since then I can't say I know what this row's about but I'm yeah. I'm intrigued I mean do you think it's Big bad news for Genduzi? Is it like, and you're out the door, or do you think it's more of a sort of, you know, what do they say, like a rap on the knuckles kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, look, it depends. Uh, you know, we we can't say on the one hand that we've got all this all this football to play, and then sort of you know wipe out one member of the squad who would be mm. a useful member, uh, you know, somebody to have. Um, Look, it depends how serious this bust-up was. If it is just something, uh, you know, stuff happens on the the training ground all the time. Like, all the time. Between players, you know, uh, emotions are high, the testosterone is up, you know, things are said, things are done on the training ground. You know, players have their bust-ups and they say things to coaches and, you know, usually they're sorted out. I suppose the the slightly worrying aspect of this um, is that the row continued in the hotel afterwards where it shouldn't have. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, what happens on the training pitch, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that it happened in the in the hotel too, maybe that's Genduzi not being prepared to accept whatever discipline Arteta is trying to to put in place or, or whatever rule he felt he might have been um, in breach of. You know, mm-hmm. it depends. It feels probably like a rap on the knuckles kind of thing. And I don't think it's unusual for a player of 20 years of age to to need that from time to time. And, you know, when you think about what Genduzi has done since he's arrived at Arsenal, you know, he arrived that summer, nobody knew who he was. Nobody expected him to start the first Premier League game of the season. Nobody expected him to be a fixture in the team throughout that season. You know, when he's been fit, he's been in the team or at the very least in the squad. You know, there have been mm. times when he's been benched. I just wonder maybe if at 20 years of age, you need to be reminded that you haven't made it 
you know, you, yeah. you've you've done very well to make yourself a first team player at Arsenal, having made a big step up. But don't take anything for granted. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't don't let your ego get in the way of of the next ten years of your career, right? Mm. And like you said, I don't think Arteta will be slow to remind any player of that, whether they're twenty years of age or thirty years of age. So. Mm. We'll wait and see. Obviously, what happens on Thursday, if he's in the squad on Thursday, then it's a it's a, a lesson that uh, Arteta believes he will learn from. Um, so, we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It is, a, it is a bit worrying, though, isn't it, when you hear of stuff like that? But yeah, but, you things know, blow over quickly, don't they? Yeah, and a, what's a bust-up? Do you know what I mean? Like a bust-up... I've had plenty of bust-ups in my life, and that can just be That's a ver- tense word or... It's do you know what I mean? yeah. Unless, yeah. It, unless something got physical, which would be crazy. I but, don't... Th- yeah, I don't think that's the it's got to be verbal, yeah. And, you know, those things happen at training grounds all the time. But what's good to know is there is a bit of discipline being enforced, and maybe it will serve as a reminder to Ganduzi that he hasn't made it yet. I mean, the other thing that it made me think about is that he's not the only fully fit player who didn't make that match day squad you know you've got uh, well Rob Holding if you count him as fully fit Reese Nelson Ainsley Maitland-Niles these guys were all deemed fit and available for selection didn't make the 18 which I think shows the squad's in decent-ish shape in terms of fitness at the moment Yeah, but also shows that this is going to happen I mean guys are going to miss games if everyone stays fit that's the reality of having a big squad and almost everybody in it who's fit. And let's remember mm. as well that um, Kieran Tierney is not fit. He's on the fit. way back. He's the on t- the way back. The two signings are the, almost yeah, back. Pablo Marie and, and Cedric are, are coming into the squad. So there, there are going to be players um, who are going to be disappointed week in, week out. And Arteta's got to make the decisions. And in a situation like this, if he decides that Genduzi shouldn't be in the squad because of the way he's trained or because of, or, or even simply because somebody else is better suited to that game or has worked harder and worked better, you know, a place in the team based on your reputation is part of why we were in the problem uh, position that we were, you know. Um, make it competitive. Make them work hard. If you don't follow the rules, pay the consequences. Simple mm. as that. So um, I've got no problem with Genduzi being left out of the t- out of the team. I think he's a player who who has been very good for us at times. Who's also been a player who who looks like to me someone who who could use a little bit of a reminder that it's not easy or it shouldn't be easy and you shouldn't take anything for granted. So if he comes back from this, if he learns a lesson and it, it works out well, then all the better for us. Yeah, it's not going to make him a worse player, is it? So the ha- the manner in which he responds to this little setback mm. will could be really important to him. Uh, now, we've had a lot of different sort of questions and messages about what's going on with Man City. Uh, I quite like this one on Discord from the 13th Aristocrat. Not a question, but part of me is secretly hoping that Wenger had some part to play in City's Champions League ban. <laughs> nah, I mean, he did start working for FIFA recently. Yeah, but it's UEFA, UEFA who implemented the ban, so it's not. Sad. 
sad yeah. then and uh, I should have known that to be honest and then Gun Ranjan said what do you think of Arteta's comments about Man City it bothered me that it looked like he thought some kind of injustice was being done what City had done is completely unethical and if anything clubs like them PSG should be brought to justice sooner rather than later what have you made of the whole PSG fallout and Arteta's response to P- I like that PSG fallout I, I like it, it. yeah uh, the city fallout. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we had we had a couple of questions. Uh, also from the Discord, Henry Powell um, said that, uh, what's your opinion on Man, Man City's Champions League ban and what does this mean for Arsenal? So we can discuss it from, from the Arsenal perspective in a moment. Um, Arteta's response to it, I think it's, would it not be natural to be disappointed for a club at which you recently worked and had a great time and you respect the coach and you a lot of success there? We want the big job eventually. Yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> Arsenal is a stepping stone, you know. No, yeah. I mean, look, I think I think that's natural. I, you know, we're obviously we don't have as fans, we don't have mixed loyalties in any way. No. You know, it's completely subjective to us. You know, we are biased. That's yeah, it. Exactly. End of story. Whereas Arteta probably has you know really nice feelings towards Man City because he had a, a good time there and enjoyed his work there and it's helped him get this job at Arsenal, which he clearly uh, is is um, relishing. He probably has very warm feelings for uh, for Everton, having spent so much time there as a player. Mm. You know, there'll be Celtic fans who probably. Um, won't like the fact that Mikel Arteta will have warm feelings towards Rangers because he played there, etc., etc. So, you know, those things are natural. I also think there is an element of... with players and with managers uh, that they... I don't want to say they close their eyes to certain things, right? But they see what they do as a job. And their yeah. job is to play well for their team or it's to manage the team as well as possible. I mean, you could ask all the questions in the world about um, Man City and their money and where it comes from. And, and let me be clear, I think uh, it's been fairly well documented that they've broken the rules and therefore yeah. they should be punished. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be punished at all. I think it's right that they should be punished. And I think, as I wrote over the weekend, th- this idea that, the rich and the powerful shouldn't be uh, face the consequences of their actions simply because they're rich and powerful is something every right-thinking person should be against mm-hmm. at every level, whether it's sporting, political, societal. You know, you should not be able to get away with things that break the rules or break the laws just because you're rich and you can afford good legal representation. That is not just in any way. So if City have been deemed guilty of offences, they should pay the price for them. Mm-hmm. But... I agree with you. You know, I think from their point of view, they're, they're going, well, I'm doing a job and, you know, who owns the club is not really relevant to me, whatever it is. And you can, you know, that cognitive dissonance that they have, that we have as fans, right? You know, you can be as snitty as you want about Man City and their money and where it comes from. And I understand it completely. And you can talk about Abu Dhabi and human rights, but we're sponsored by Emirates. So, you know, where, how, how, how fucking high is your horse? Right. And I think with Arteta, he's not going to say, or make it out, well, you know, they got what they deserved by the way they operated. That's what these rich nation states will... You know, I just don't think it's realistic. I think he's just looking at it from a 
a sporting perspective, uh, it's happened to a club at which he has a connection and that's it, you know? And you could say, maybe he should talk about that. Maybe Pep Guardiola should talk about that. Maybe Pep Guardiola should apply the same the same level of, of morality to, let's say, human rights abuses in Abu Dhabi as he does to, you know, Catalan independence and the be- behavior of police in Spain and all those kind of things. You know, he, he seems to be stronger on one side of it than the other side of it. But I don't know if that's realistic either, you know? No, I think ultimately, I mean... <laughs> Like you say, it's cognitive dissonance. If you're taking money from an organisation, if they're paying your wages and a very healthy wage at that, I think you kind of don't want to query that Mm. too much. It's kind of a natural human instinct. I mean, personally, I agree with you. It's absolutely right that they should be punished for what appears to be a pretty flagrant breaking of the rules. I have my own queries about the rules because... I think that FFP is designed as much to protect the rich clubs and keep other clubs out mm. as anything else. I mean, I think that's the principal driver of FFP is the idea that well, we don't want any more Man City's and Chelsea's coming into our little European Super League mm. gang. Um, because ultimately it's, not, it's applied at a level of the game where the clubs are going to be fine. It's not applied at the grassroots of the game where yeah. the financial management of clubs is actually a serious issue. However... They have known the rules and they have broken them. So I hope this ban is upheld because it would be a show of strength, wouldn't it, from UEFA, who have been a bit flaky, let's say, when it's when things have gone to yeah. court of arbitration for sport, etc. Well, sure. I mean, that's a separate entity, though, isn't it? I mean, that's that's where sure, they sure. Go it's not them being flaky, but, no, but yeah, I know, it's I know what you mean. To enforce is what I mean. No, exactly right. And it, you know, if. Uh, I saw some suggestion that Man City are going to like, you know, bring out a dossier of stuff that other clubs have done. And look, if other clubs have broken the rules, why shouldn't they be punished as well? It's the mm-hmm. idea that nobody should ever get punished for something they do because they're they're rich enough to deal with it or to pay people or to make things go away or to, you know, find loopholes and all those kind of things. Um, you know, we look at the money that comes into certain clubs and, you know, it can't be anything other than a breach of FFP. It, it just can't. Um, I think at the end of it, if you are nominally interested in maintaining football as a competitive sport, and I say that as a sport rather than a yeah. medium of entertainment, which is driven by the demands of broadcasters and rights holders and sponsors and marketeers and, and you know, the, the, the rich owners who want to become richer um, by cornering the market and by, you know, I think the, the Independent did a really good piece um, last week yeah, about Miguel how Delaney, Miguel yeah. Delaney's piece was, was really, really good about, you know, the way that, you know, top flight football is becoming less and less competitive. Um, you know, that's something that should concern us all. So if City have to pay a price to make things better, then tough shit on City. And if it happens to us and we were the ones who had broken the rules, then what can we do? other than accept that and get on with it and maybe operate in a way which doesn't break the rules. I mean, the, 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 the thing that might benefit us, James, is if the ban is upheld, fifth mm. place becomes a Champions League place. Well, indeed. Yeah. Um, City fans should be delighted anyway. They hate the Champions League, don't they? Famously, always booing the anthem. Boo the anthem, anthem yeah. They've got what they want. Yeah. Um, what, yes, fifth is fascinating. It completely would alter the dynamic of the remainder of the Premier League season, I think, because 
as unlikely as top four has felt for a long time. Somehow fifth seems A, more attainable, and B, does it almost apply a degree of pressure to the Premier League that wouldn't otherwise be there? Yeah, I think people were talking about the Premier League as kind of a done deal for us this Dead season. Rubber. It was like, yeah. yeah, we can use it to, you know, obviously keep momentum going and we could maybe experiment and play some young players and, and what have you. And the only realistic avenue that we had into the the Champions League was by winning the Europa League. And now, look, there are 12 games to go. It does feel very much like getting ahead of ourselves, having won just once in the last six weeks or whatever it is. But, you know, that's the target. The target is to win games. And when you're just six points behind the fifth place team, why why wouldn't you at least make that an ambition? Whether you can achieve it or not is a different thing. But why wouldn't you hold that carrot out there and fucking smash that donkey and go for it? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's definitely something to motivate the players and, mo- and motivate the squad. I I think it will still be difficult, I have to say. You know, it's not so much the six-point gap. I'm sure Arsenal could make up a six-point gap, but it's the number of teams mm. between us and that yeah. six-point gap who we also need to fall by the wayside, you know, including, yeah. I don't know, Manchester United with a game in hand and a, a very competent Sheffield United side. So... Yeah, look, it would be great. And I think you've got to go for it, haven't you? Having been handed that sort of lifeline, you've got to try. Um, But I don't think it'll be easy. No, I don't think it will. Um, Let me see here. I had a question. Sorry, i got to find it here because it was an interesting question and I've lost it uh, in a reboot. Uh, Let me see. Uh, I feel like I should be filling here. You could do. I mean, you could like improvise or whatever. But look, I've, I've, um, let's see, where the fuck is it gone? (laughs) Think of the last place you saw it. I saw it on Twitter. It was on Twitter, and I'm searching Twitter for the thing. Um, it's basically about Mustafi. Yeah. Um, Let's see. It should be in my mentions. Um, this is terrible. We might have to cut this out. <laughs> Here it is. I found it. Oh, wow. Yay. It's from Pete Sithlum. Pete Sithlum. Sithlum? Yeah, Pete okay. Sithlum. He's got no vowels in his name. got no vowels in his surname. Pete Sithlum. And okay. he, he's at FC underscore Stockholm. So right. maybe Sithlum. It's something to do with Stockholm. Could be in Swedish or something. I don't know. Sure. Could be. I don't know. Maybe he's just called Um He says, Goodly morning, gents. Quick question about Mustafi. I, for one, really liked his game yesterday. Cam on the ball and good in the air. Could it be we are giving him games to up his value before we sell him? Or does Arteta really fancy him? Or maybe both? It's a good question. I don't think Arteta would give him games to up his value now. You know, outside of a transfer window, I don't buy that, really. I think he'd be more focused on the result. I think he does like him. I think he he likes a lot of what he brings. Am I convinced? No, because I know that this is what Mustafi does. He looks all right for a bit, and then something really bad happens. 
Yeah, that's kind of where I am with it. I thought he was good. Yesterday. He was good yesterday. Yeah, really good. And he's he's really. I mean, one of the things I think because I've been so frustrated with him and sort of written him off so much that you forget where he's strong. And he is remarkably good in the air for a man of his stature. His spring is is great. Mm. I think. Yeah, he does make he does make some big headers. That's for yeah. sure. He's brave, in fairness, in the box. We'll stick his head in. Uh, but yeah, I, but I'm just waiting for the moment, you know? Yeah, I I am too. I mean, we had one a couple of games ago. Yeah, against Chelsea. Yeah, and like the, the elation of seeing Gabriel Martinelli leave Kante in the dust after he slipped and scoring that goal and then scoring a late equaliser definitely has... Um, people's perception of that match is very different. Yes. You know, that it would Bellerin be saved Mustafi's Arsenal career with kind of, equaliser. Kind of, you know. But, uh, you know, Arteta has spoken about how he liked Mustafi's reaction to that. And um, I don't know. Yeah, he, he does seem to, he does seem to like him. I thought, you know, this would be a good indication of what Arteta was thinking about in terms of his, not necessarily his strongest side, but, but when it came to his defence, I was I was looking to see, would he bring Socrates back? Because he'd been a little yeah. bit injured or a little bit ill. Um, and maybe going into the two-week break, he just wanted to rest him up again. But, you know, he stuck with Mustafi. Um, that's a decision you can live and die by. Um, sure. You know, but for now, I think... He's playing well enough to justify his place in the team. It's just, you know, it's always there, isn't it? It's always there in the back of your mind about what might happen. And and that's based on, you know, three and a half years of watching Mustafi play for Arsenal. So I think, you know, credit him uh, where it's due for the performances that he's put in. But I can't not be a little bit wary. That's all. Yeah. And I think, you know we'd be naive to not be wary at this point. You know, we've, we have learned our lesson. We have been several times bitten and we're several times shy. Mm. So credit to Mustafi for a good performance yesterday. And I don't take that away from him at all, but I, you know, he feels like a time bomb <laughs> still to me. Um, but yeah, clearly Arteta likes what he brings. And I think it's, it's, it's what he does on the, on the ball too. I think it's mm. the ambition of his passing, even if it's not always, as accurate as you might like. Uh, Ashley Gardner on Twitter asks, uh, we talked about it a bit in part one, but he says, if Ceballos plays like he did yesterday for the remainder of the season, should we be reopening the discussion on whether he would make a worthwhile permanent signing in the summer? (laughs) Yes, if he plays like that between now and the end of the season in every game, we should definitely reconsider having a discussion about whether or not we should keep him. Sure. Okay, great. Problem solved. Yeah. But that's the thing, isn't <laughs> no, it, it? It, it? There are a lot of questions of like, should we buy Ceballos now? And uh, my reaction really is, well, let's wait and see. You know, this could be another Burnley and we might get nothing else for the next two months. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, there there is an element of uh, short-termism. is not quite right. But, you know, you see a guy do that and you go, well, if he could do that every week, we should definitely buy him. But it's about mm-hmm. him doing it every week and that's the thing with Ceballos he had that one performance against Burnley and then I'm not judging the rest of his season because it was part of of the general malaise 
Um, but, you know, I, I, I liked what he did yesterday. I like the fact that I like he, the fact that he passes the ball with pace. Mm. He he really whacks it at uh, the person he wants to receive the ball. And that's important because it gives you just that little bit more time and it can open up an avenue for you for another pass, a first time pass. Um, you know, he's not brilliant defensively. Um, and I'm not sure against certain opposition, he would be the right choice in that position. Um, But, yeah, it was a promising performance. And if he can back it up with more promising performances, maybe it's a discussion worth having. Arteta sounded very impressed afterwards, didn't he, about about what Ceballos had done. I think that's a very... uh, Another thing to point out is that he had sounded pretty lukewarm on him when these rumours were going around about how he wanted to leave and wanted to, you know, to get away and, you know, change clubs for, yeah, uh, you know, to be in the Euro 2020 thing. And, and look, having the ambition to be in the Spanish squad is great. We all understand that. But there were two things. There was an interview with Marca or El Mundo or one of those. It was Marca, yeah. Yeah, and Ceballo said, you know, leaving would have been the cowardly thing to do instead of getting your head down and working hard and fighting for a place, paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. And Arteta has basically confirmed that. He said that uh, Ceballos is a good example. He said, what the, was it? He changed the way he trains? Was that what he said? Yeah, he said he's training now like an animal, was his phrase. He changed, he completely changed his behavior, is what he said. Yeah. So that's... Those are not insignificant words. So, no. you know, if Arteta, uh, if Ceballos can do that um, and convince Arteta he's worthy of a place in the team, then that's a positive thing as well. And again, maybe going back to the Gendouzi thing, you know, if Ceballos or if Arteta is open to a player changing his behavior, then, um, you know, it, it doesn't close the door on him. You know, so mm. I think it, I think it's positive, uh, but let's see what what Sabias does. Yeah, he, and he's he's an example for Gendouzi now in terms of his response, but he's got to he's got to deliver it consistently. I really mm. liked a lot of what he did in the game. I thought his presence uh, helped Urzel as well because he can find him quicker and mm. earlier. And yes. I think that's I think that's what Arteta's kind of been looking for. If you look at the central midfield, he had Torreira in there and he seemed to be, you know, to the eye doing pretty well. But he was tempted enough to go with Gunduzi at Burnley and I do think that was about swift fast progression up the field and I think that Sabios of the three is probably the best distributor. So it'll be interesting to see how that mm. how that goes on from here. Is it your question or my question? No, it's my question, isn't it? It's yours, yeah. Uh, okay, we've got a couple of questions here along the same lines, which I definitely have, uh, and I'm not going to go through all the stuff about... Um, okay, now I found it. Here it is. Bruce Ridewell uh, says, uh, next season, would you A, keep Tierney and play Saka on the left wing, or B, sell Tierney and keep Saka at left back? Um, Kieran Leonard, who's at Kieran Leonard one, says with the emergence of Saka at left back, does this spell the end for Tierney before he even gets going? Are there shades of the uh, Debushi Bellerin situation? And finally, John Batty, who's at Tech Batty, says, how worried are you about Saka's contract situation? Ooh, plenty of questions there. I mean, the comparison of Debushi and Bellerin's actually quite an interesting one. Um, 
because I hadn't thought of that. You know, we signed Debushi to replace Sanya and Bellerin, came from nowhere. And of course, Debushi got an injury. Was that a shoulder injury as well, funnily enough? It was. It was when... Um, pushed off the pitch by Arnautovic, was Yes, it? the pound sharp Ibrahimovic. Yeah. Um, so I guess there are some parallels there. I mean, a lot depends on... The big difference between Debushi and, Tier- and Tierney is age. You know, yeah. Debushi was at an age where if he missed that much football, he was sort of out of his peak by the time, time he came back. Um, Tierney is entering his peak, you know, and if he can get fit, I think he's a big prospect still. I suppose I'd be most worried if I was said Kolasinac, let's put it like that, uh, of the three. Mm. I think given the salary that we're paying him, given the fact that he represents an opportunity, a rare opportunity for us to turn a profit effectively on a player, and definitely in terms of the transfer fee, I think his spot is vulnerable. As for Saka's long-term future, I think a lot of it depends on Arteta's willingness to adopt this kind of adapted left-back role in the long term. Mm. You know, is it something he is doing because he needed to do it because he didn't have any left-backs and it was a way of kind of protecting... Hiding Saka's weaknesses and emphasising his strengths, and it's working, so he's sticking with it short term. Or is he prepared for it to be a long term feature of the team? I think that's what it comes down mm. to, and I'm not sure, to be honest, with what the case is with that. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I'm, like my gut tells me that going forward and and looking into the future, a left side of Tierney at left back and Saka at left wing is very exciting. Mm. Um. You know he's done yeah. am- amazingly well at at uh, at left back, but I do think where we've seen the best of him is in the final third, and that's where he's he's clearly really productive, really talented. Has got a, a, a tremendous amount of ability. He's got more assists than any player in the Arsenal team this season, and that includes it includes Pepe, it includes uh, Lacazette, it includes Mesut Ozil, of course. So you know I think when you're looking at where he's strongest, the fact that he can do a great job at left-back is really promising, but maybe you get more out of him if you play him uh, further forward. Aubameyang, um, there may be question marks about his long-term future at Arsenal. We have to start thinking about what our long-term future is going to be. You know, we paid a lot of money for Tierney. Um, Arteta was very complimentary about him as well uh, last week. And I think if you look at it and think about how do you how do you set up the the left side of your team in the future, Tierney and Saka sounds very nice to me, along with Bellerin and Pepe on the right hand side. You know, those are areas of the pitch which uh are kind of future proofed with those players. So that's where I think yeah. that's where my gut feeling tells me um or how we'll deal with, with that situation. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I, I think was it at Old Trafford where Saka created a goal with a piece of play that was proper kind of inside forward stuff, like a really neat little pass. Mm. Um, maybe it was Old Trafford. I forget. It was somewhere away from home, and he he did really well. But I I I think he can play on the wing. I just think he's doing so well in this adapted left back role that I I'm not quite willing to sort of write that off as a potential future for him. I think. I think it could be. I think it really yeah, could it, be. Yeah, it, it could be. It could be. Um, oh, can you hang on? Someone at the door. Yeah, yeah. One sec. 
I'm back. That's good yeah, news. That was my neighbour. Uh, his battery is flattening in me to jumpstart his car. And I said, no, no. <laughs> the people are waiting for a podcast and I can't deal with your car. Good of you. Um, what about the contract? Any concerns for you about the contract 18 months ago? Look, I suppose, um, yeah, just a little bit. You know, that sort of... That sort of feeling where you go, oh, the, his breakthrough has been so remarkable that there are going to be teams all over the place looking at him and what he can do and his contractual situation and who will be offering him plenty, right? Yeah. Look um, at Callum Hudson-Odoi when he broke through at Chelsea and was the subject of that interest from Bayern Munich. Yeah. I think this is a talent of that calibre who could attract yeah. a similar level of interest. And I think we have to look at the contract situation in the context of the fact that he's only 18. He signed his first professional contract in September 2018, right? Mm. As a, what, then 16-year-old? Or 17? Do you have to be 17? 17 you have to got to be 17, don't you? Maybe. So, yeah. you know, look, he, he was on a contract which uh, was befitting of his stature at the club at the time. And now it's nowhere near worth or he's getting nowhere near what he's worth to the team. You know, our chief creator this season and he's on whatever it is, three grand a week, something like that. You know, so he absolutely deserves a new contract. He deserves he deserves it um, from the point of view of safeguarding his future. But, but because of what he's done on the pitch and the performances... You know, my natural, not natural pessimism, but that bit of pessimism you have about a situation like this where you go, Ooh, who could be offering him and maybe he'll be lured away and what have you. I do think the fact that he's come through Hayland, the academy, with Joe Willock, with Eddie yeah. Nketia, with Reese Nelson, um, you know, and with some of the other players that are, you know, there or thereabouts. I hope that will be the driver for him. You know, it will be a really key part. It's like... I, be part of this generation of young Arsenal players who who can be part of our future for years and years. So mm, pay him what he's mm. worth and, uh, you know, let's let's move on. Um, I did read David Ornstein saying they are, they're dealing with this as a sort of matter of urgency. Yeah, meeting last week, according to David. So that bodes well. I mean, I think that the club would probably like to put... The, the trickiest position is the club would probably like to put him on money equivalent with some of these other academy guys, you know, your Joe Willocks, your Smith Rose, stuff like that. But Saka will be looking at this now and saying, and his agent will certainly be saying, he's a first-team player who's making big contributions yeah. in the first team. And so he, he expects to be rewarded accordingly. And it will be, they'll ask for a massive jump, which maybe the club might be a bit reticent to do. Mm. I think you've just got to do it in this situation. You've got to bite the bullet because yeah. he has broken through what would it cost to replace him, to buy a young talent of that ability? You yeah, know, where do you get him. one? Where do you get well, one? Yeah, exactly. So he's a gift. You've got to keep him and you've got to pay the money. And I th and I honestly think, you know, whatever we end up paying him on this new contract will be small change to what he eventually makes. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, and that's, so look, I think a situation like this is probably the best problem a football club can have. Yeah. Right? Oh no! Oh. How are we get what we're we going to do about our breakthrough academy? Oh, time? this guy's come through and he's been absolutely brilliant. Oh shit, shit! Now we're going to have to pay him more money. It's like this yeah. is what you want from an academy. You mm. want these stars to break through, and you've got to be prepared to give them what it takes uh, when they do make that breakthrough. And he's done it this season, and he he deserves whatever he gets, in my opinion. 
Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't really have done much more. Um, oh, this question came from Peter Host, who asks questions quite regularly on the show. Goodly morning, gents. I was flying in from Denmark yesterday, but missed the match because my flight was delayed because of the weather. Mm. Um, sorry, Peter. Plenty of foreign fans, I think, missed the game. Uh, what's the worst Arsenal match you've missed over the years? And I obviously know mine straight away. I guess it's probably different, you know, if you're going to matches. Yeah, yeah. Week in, week well, out. Mine actually was a match that I didn't go to. It was, of course, when we went to New York. Oh, I, yeah. I missed the vast majority, or certainly the good bit of Arsenal beating Chelsea, uh, stuck in traffic from the airport. That's right. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. That was a that was a good game to be at or a good game to witness uh, with all oh, the Oh and it didn't yeah. celebrate it didn't uh, sorry uh, impinge on the celebrations in any way I yeah. thoroughly enjoyed the day but got to miss the actual uh, the goals I can't remember m- missing a game It's your job isn't it remember, you remember know, yeah you've, you've made, you make time for it I do have vague recollections of having flights for a game and the game being cancelled because of weather but it's so long ago, I can't remember. So Don't I've got no good answer to this question. I apologize. No, no worries. No worries. It was selfish, really. I knew I had an answer. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I know how it goes. All right. Uh, let's do one to finish because uh, we, we've been going a while. This one from Stephen Leachman. He yeah. says, after spotting him doing, doing it during the goal celebrations, how would you stop David Louise from tweaking your nose? <laughs> well, I might. I, I mean, was it you who tweeted saying I'm very much on Joe Willock's side here? Yes. If I woke yeah. up, like, it, to people who didn't see it, there was a video doing the rounds of the players asleep on the team bus at various stages um, during the warm weather training, I think, or maybe even before that. But basically, they would be asleep, and Louise would come up to them and tweak their nose with his thumb and his index finger. What's the noise that he makes? I don't know. It's kind of like a... (laughs) 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 It's like a... And Uh, everyone went, oh, what the fuck? And then Joe Willock went, oh, what the fuck? And then, like, (laughs) tried to hit him. Um, I don't blame Joe Willock. I I think that's reasonable. Um, So I would probably try to hit him. It would be my my solution. I mean, I don't know what else you can do. I I could tell him uh, why would he not want to treat my nose? I was uh, ill. <laughs> what, what, yeah. What if you coated your nose in yeah. like a fiendish plan, right? So you coat your nose in a red hot chili. Mm, I mean, that would hurt your nose, though, Andrew. Yeah, but what you but would is do? It worth it. Yeah, well, you could do, but you could get, like, a piece of uh, latex and make a prosthetic sort okay, of outer like cover this. for your yeah, nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he'd be looking at your nose going, it's a bit bigger than I thought it was. A bit bigger than yesterday. Anyway, so he would, like, tweak your nose and go, and do his funny sound. And then at some point he would go to the bathroom. Uh, and did you ever uh, cut chilies, chop chilies, and put them in a dish and then go to the bathroom and forget that you'd chop the chilies yeah, having yeah. not washed your hands and you get a very painful bad, experience, yeah. 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 So that's yeah, really that's bad. what I would do. That's quite clever, actually. Mm. And I think it would be the least David Luiz deserves 
for interrupting everybody's sleep. For sure. I mean, the other options are like putting tiny robotic scorpions up your nose and when he comes near them, just going... Just hold them. Just hold them in your nose. Yeah. And release them yeah. at the crucial moment. Exactly. When he pinches your nose and goes, you just go, out comes the scorpion. Out come the robotic scorpions, bang, bang. And then his hand swells to the size of a, like Hellboy. He'd have a gigantic Hellboy hand for hours. That'd teach mm. him. That would teach him. Maybe we should do it to Bernd Leno as well. Might be useful for a <laughs> Two clean sheets in a row for Bernd Leno. What the shit, hey, man? Uh, yeah, and a good save from that shot that deflected in the first half, I thought. Yeah. He did well there. He did well. He did post. well. Okay, well, look, hopefully people have enjoyed this. It's been a very enjoyable podcast to uh, take part in. Thank you very much um, to everyone for listening. As always, it's great to win, and hopefully we can win again on Thursday. I thought I had a question about Thursday as well, but I can't remember. I've lost Was it, it. Would you like to win? Would you like to win the match on Thursday as well? Yeah. Should we from, win? That's come from James from Gunnerblog. Should we win on Thursday? Should we win on Thursday? I think. I like, don't know. I don't know, Andrew. You know. You know me. Yeah. I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. What do you think? Yes. You're going to go for yes. I'm going to go yes. for a yes on this one. I mean, I think the question was about whether or not you think he's going to rotate in a significant way or, you know, will he try and pick, you know, because we've got Everton then on Sunday. Yeah, I'm not expecting huge changes. I would think there's got to be a chance Torreira might come in in central midfield. Um, Socrates. Socrates is a possibility and I think Lacazette might be a possibility. Mm -hmm. Martinelli. Martinelli might be a possibility. You know. But I, I think he'll pick a team... I think uh, I, I, I think he'll pick a strong, strong team. Mm. You know, I, I don't think it'll be, you know, Aubameyang's going to play. I think you know Özil's going to play. Louise is going to play. Um, mm. Maybe Martinez is going to play though. Yeah, I think he will. I think he will. Um, you know, I think you've got to be protective of Bellerin also. So what we do at right back will be quite interesting because we won't have Cedric. But could we see a return for Ainsley Maitland-Niles? Mm. 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 Some interesting decisions for Mikel Arteta to to deal with. We will, of course, um, deal with them. Oh, are you around on Friday morning? I think so. Okay, I think so. Let's chat about it after this podcast. Okay. We won't I promise. We won't promise. Let's not guest. promise because I don't want to let anybody down. Okay, but either way, there'll be some kind of podcast on Friday morning. Um, or yeah. Anyway, we'll figure it out. We'll chat about it offline. Uh, thanks as ever uh, as ever for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.